Good morning. Um, I have a little head cold, so it's like a, it just sounds funny, so just bear with me. I like to call it my radio voice, so I'll just practice my radio voice this morning. Um, thanks for coming out this morning. Um, Josh asked me to speak on this subject a while back, and like my heart kind of leapt because this, this is um, dear and true to me, and it's something that I could speak on for, for a long time. Um, so I tried to narrow it down today, so hopefully just for like 30 minutes or 40 maybe. Um, we'll hang out. But um, before I moved out here, I was a, a missions pastor. And so I was, today we're talking about giving your life away because of the gospel. And um, I was involved in a lot of people's lives of sending them away, um, one-way airline tickets overseas. Seeing people, whether they're overseas or in the United States, um, give their lives away because of the gospel. Um, so I'm excited to share this morning. Um, as Josh said, I'm the uh, church planet resident here. That doesn't mean I live here, actually. But um, we moved to Oregon just to be a part of the branch. Uh, we love what the branch is doing and be open to planting churches and many churches in the future, hopefully, Josh. Um, so that's why we're here. And today, uh, we've been talking about these last four weeks. I want to encourage you, if you're new today or you're checking out the church for the first time, um, you can go online, pull up the Branch app, and listen to the last four weeks, and it maybe help you decide if you're trying to figure out where God wants you to serve in the local church in Corvallis. This might give you a vision and, a, and an idea of our mission and where we're headed as a church, and the reason to why we exist as a church, the reason why we came here this morning to worship our great and awesome God. Um, so this morning, again, the vision statement says, we exist to make disciples of all nations, Amen who are in awe of the gospel, and I would say that you can't do any of this unless you're in awe of the gospel, embody the gospel, and giving their lives away, not for the gospel, but because of the gospel. And so I have the privilege and honor of sharing that this morning. Um, as I said, I just, I'm going to pray for us in just a second because this is a big deal. Like this message this morning, it's, it's, it's about suffering to one degree. It's about embracing suffering and the suffering that's in the world and the, and the tragedy that's going on and not living for ourselves. Um, it's, it's a message that if you get it deep, deep, deep down in your heart, you will be radically changed. I mean, forever. And it's not like instantly, like today, something's going to click in you. But in a room this size, my prayer has been all week that somebody radically shifts their thinking, their perspective on life. And they become kingdom-minded and upward-thinking. And we'd forget our lives and lay it down and bury it and destroy it and move on. And when that life tries to creep back up, destroy it again and again and again and again. Because Jesus is worth it. So while we talk about suffering today, in the end of it all, Jesus is worth it. Um, there was a man by the name of David Livingston who was in the early 1800s. He was a missionary. Um, ended up in Africa, went to the missionary home. Uh, they were all in one village just kind of hanging out, and he just thought, man, this is not for me, because he was just wild. He's like the crazy friend that you want to have. Um, he wanted to be out in the wilderness blazing trails, and his whole, he felt his mission for the gospel was to make roads further into Africa so that the gospel could be advanced. Um, he actually named Victoria Lake after Queen Victoria. I learned that this year. Um, but he was an amazing man who wrestled lions, tribes, wandered through deserts, and uh, he had a quote that I just kind of want to hang over us before I pray today. He says that, and, and, and I know that we're not in a day and age where kings actually summon you. Um, and a lot of times we think of kings as dictators or bad people or whatever your concept is. But just think of, of a good earthly king. And he, he quoted, he said, why do we consider it a great honor to be commissioned by an earthly king? But when our heavenly king commissions us, 
we consider it suffering. And he left a question mark hanging. And I kind of want to wrestle with that today. Our perspective of following Christ, there is a call to suffer, but there is a great joy beyond our understanding that is immeasurable worth it. Christ suffered for us. He endured everything that he's asking us to do today. So let's pray. Father, um, God, this message is, it's difficult. Um, Father, I just pray that you give us the humble, humbleness and the grace. God, that we need your spirit to transform our hearts in this very moment. These are hard things. These are great things. But Father, we need your power in this place right now. I need your power to speak through me and not let it be my words, but that it is your words. God, that as you convict our hearts this morning, as you convict my very own heart, God, that you would guard it against the enemy who would love to take anything that you stir in us this morning as we walk out these doors and we forget it as we go to lunch or to our test or hang out with our friends, that we forget the deposit that you want to place deep down inside of us today. Father, give us the ability by your spirit to die to ourselves in this very moment, God, to hear of your glorious worth. And Father, just create in us a clean heart and a right spirit. Let us humbly come before you this morning with a willing spirit. God, at least willing to hear what you'd have to say to us. God, help us to tear down any walls or any perceptions that we already have of of what this looks like in our lives, but to always be open to your ever-changing, your ever-creating path and journey for us as we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, we need you, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks ago, um, if you go back and listen, or if you've been with us, uh, Josh began the series kind of asking, what is your mission statement? And he kind of set up the premise that we, whether you're a believer or a non-believer or where you are on the spectrum today, that, that you have a mission. Wherever you spend your money, your extra time, that, that you have a mission in life, that you're trying to accomplish something. And today I want to present to us several questions, um, some that will kind of di- dialect, but some of them are just for your thought process this week. I just want to get your, your wills kind of going in your mind and, and thinking about your life and what you're doing and, and where you're headed, what your mission is, and what you want to lay down your life for. So today, just to kind of give you a roadmap, we'll talk about uh, what it might look like to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, wholeheartedly. What does it look like to deny ourselves? What does it mean to take up your cross? How in the world do we save by losing? That's weird. And how does it look to not be ashamed of Jesus? And ultimately this morning, I want you to ask yourself, what does it look like for you and I to give our lives away because of the gospel? What will you spend your days on this earth pursuing and doing? For none of us know how many days those are. But what will you spend your energy, your strength, your money, your passion on doing? What's worth it? Who's worth it? And what does Jesus say about it? So that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, In your Bibles, in Mark chapter 8. This... I don't remember too many scriptures I would like to say that like, oh yeah, every time Josh speaks or my pastors in the past have spoken, I remember every sermon. We realize that on the stage. We realize that we're going to speak and you may not remember three weeks from now what we even talked about. Um, But when I came across this scripture, um, it was January of 2002. I was six months old in my Christian walk um, and I'd read this passage that particular morning on not being ashamed of the gospel. And I was like, 
challenged to my core of like, man, I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. Jesus says, if I'm ashamed of him and the gospel, he'll be ashamed of me before his heavenly father and when the angels return in his glory. And what does it mean to deny myself? I was really challenged and wrestling with it that morning. It was a cold winter morning in Tennessee, and I remember even talking to, to uh, Brooke about it on the way to church that morning, and our pastor opened up the scriptures, and he was in Mark 8, and I just rejoiced the fact that God was working in my heart to point that out to me. And it was, I guess, more memorable, memorable to me because I, I started a radio show that particular week started called Ain't Ashamed, a little Southern for you. Um, but I, I, I wanted to like declare to the world that, man, I had been changed. I was at the age of 24, and I didn't want to be ashamed of God. I was surrounded with friends of the past that, that weren't believers. Most, besides Brooke, I really didn't know any believers, and a couple of people at church that I was just getting to know. But I didn't want to be ashamed of God, and I was really challenged by that message. And so it wasn't that I got it that day. It wasn't that like, hey, Lord, I named a radio show after you. I don't have to be ashamed of you anymore. I named it Ain't Ashamed for all the 12 listeners that were listening for those three years. Um, but life moved on, and I, and, and I had to grow in this. And it's, it's a continual dying to yourself. It's a process. It's a daily thing to deny ourselves, to not be ashamed of the gospel. And at that time, I, I, I viewed denying myself and surrendering to God as misery, I'm going to be honest, and there's probably some in this room that you think as we get into this today that denying yourself, this was my perspective, that God was going to send me to some God-awful, miserable place. Like me surrendering to him meant I was going to be wherever. And when I say miserable place, we're all different. We all like different things here. So whatever it is to you, maybe it's hot places or cold places like Mongolia where it's minus 50 in the winter, or maybe it's urban and Delhi, India where it's crowded, or maybe you wanted to be in the country. Whatever, like in your mind right now, like whatever you think is miserable and terrible place to live, that was what I assumed in my wrong perspective of our good father that he was gonna send me to that place. So I wanna assure you today as we're diving into this that he is a good, good father, and if he calls you to that place that you think is terrible, he will change your heart. And in fact, when we die to ourselves, our desires become his desires, this weird paradox. We begin to have passion and compassion for those things that we thought we didn't like because we are dead to ourselves. When you're dead to yourself, you're a dead men and women walking, and the only way to walk when you're dead is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. That is the only way. So in my life, I thought I'd just end up in some jungle somewhere, miserable, But God has set me on a journey these last 16, 17 years of my life that have been ridiculous. Not easy, ridiculous. And I'm so, it's like an adventure. Today, it's like reading a storybook and you see the character played out and you you fall in love with that character on the movie or in your literature books and you're like, oh, I want that. And you're just a spectator of their lives, but Jesus is actually calling you in to be that character. As you read missionary stories, as you read the scriptures, if you read these great miraculous things and you're like, wow, I want that, it's presented to you by the power of God. And I had to shift my perspective in that very morning of January 2002, a shift began to happen. And there's more shifts that I'll kind of share in this journey as I dialogue this today, but it's not about Jeremy or the cooks. 
I just want to simply share my life. I don't, I had a, my wife had a professor in college that did Middle Eastern studies, and the first week of class, she raised her hand and asked him if he'd ever been to the Middle East, and he said no. So if you've ever had a professor teaching a business class and he's never started a business, you're kind of like, what? So I don't share things today to be like, whoa, look at us. I say, share them to say, whoa, look at Jesus. But I've been there. I'm there right now. You're there right now. And I'm going to be there until the Lord calls me home. So let's open this scripture up, Mark 8. Um, this is an amazing little passage. And I'm not going to dialogue the whole thing, but chapter 8 starts off, they're feeding 4,000 people. Um, then Jesus gets into the Pharisees and how they want a sign, and he's like, no, nope, sorry, you're not going to get a sign. Just after that, um, the disciples, be, he, Jesus starts talking about leaven, and the disciples are like, whoa, I'm hungry. Like, they don't even, like, get what he's saying. They're just like, oh, we don't have any bread. I'm really hungry. It's really kind of funny. Um, but Jesus was saying, basically, in, in Mark 8, uh, verse 17, he says, do you not perceive or understand? And I, I just want to kind of point something out here. You get to the next part. Jesus is healing a blind man. His perspective, he was blind. He now has a vision to see. Um, he talks to Peter just after that. Peter confesses he's Christ. And he says, who do, you see, who do you say I am? Who do you see that I am? And then we get down here to, to Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection. And I just want to say it's a perspective issue. And I'm not saying like all Mark chapter 8 is about that, but it's kind of interesting that there's dialogues within there about perspective, about being blind. And, and it starts off, Jesus is in verse 31. He says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and that he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and that he would be killed. And after three days again, he would rise. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man, on the things of earth. So it was, there was a perspective issue. I want to say that because Jesus, all of a sudden, he, we're going to pick it up in verse 35, and he calls the crowd to him with the disciples. So Jesus is correcting. He's, he's teaching his disciples, and I kind of I just I want to put myself, I want you to put yourself there, whether you're a disciple or in the crowd. But like Jesus kind of rebukes them. And then he's like, hey, everybody, come here. And so if you're like on Jesus' disciple team, you're like, oh, man, like what? Like, he just called everybody over. He's about to teach a lesson. He's being, it's like a, as a dad, I have family meetings, and sometimes they're really good, and sometimes everybody's like, oh, no. Like, so Jesus is calling a little family meeting here, a little powwow. And so imagine for a moment, if you would, that you're just a spectator. You're hanging out in the crowd. Jesus just fed 4,000 people. You've, he's healed a blind man. You're like, what? This guy is amazing. I can't, and he's, he's busting the chops of the Pharisees. He's, he's putting them in their place. So you kind of come over with the crowd. You're all excited. Like, man, what is Jesus about to say? And he says, he calls to the crowd to himself with the disciples. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me. And you're like, yeah. And I'm so excited Jesus is about to talk. I bet he's about to lay those Pharisees down again. And he says this thing that turns their world upside down. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. And if you and I are real, and maybe it's just me that would be a simple person, and I'm like, that's dumb. Like, just imagine, like, you're amazed by Jesus. He's doing all these things, and all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, you can follow me. And you're like, yeah. And he's like, just deny yourself. Forget yourself. Like, that's hard enough. 
But then he says to take up your cross, which was an execution. Like, this is the Roman Empire that they publicly displayed people that were against the Roman Empire laying on crosses besides the roads in the villages. And can you just imagine what this meant? We read this today with the Holy Spirit, and we kind of just glance through it as a perspective. Spectator. But this was a ridiculous statement that made no sense. Take up your cross. And I've heard it said before, and we could, like your electric chair or whatever, but we even do that in our society in like a closed corner with only a few witnesses. This is like publicly displayed, naked people hung to a cross. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you want to follow me? Take that up. That's why I say this morning, this message is difficult. It's very difficult. Like, what does that mean? Like, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. And I think in a room this size that we come across these passages in Scripture and it's okay to be in here and be like, man, what does that mean? Like, that was me in 2002 and that's me some days probably this week. Like, Lord, what, it, what is this? And some of us are in this room and we've experienced that. We've died to ourselves. Maybe you've gone overseas. You've done something crazy, that, some big sacrifice, and you're like, amen, right on. I hear what you're saying. But I think a lot of times we just read this as a spectator, as, that it's, as we're processing the information intellectually, that this is a good idea. This is something we should do. Almost equivalent to like, yeah, I should, I should recycle. I should care about the earth. I should give to charities. Like, we, we kind of process this way, this command. But it's a command that Jesus is saying here. He says, in order to follow me, in order to pursue me, in order to come after me, you and I must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And I think before I kind of get into what denying ourselves, so in the Greek here, this basically means to affirm that one has no acquaintances or connections with someone, to forget oneself, to lose oneself, to oneself, to lose one's own interest. And we could still even read that today, like with modern other religions, it's kind of like this nirvana, as we say in the South, nirvana, this nirvana. This nirvana. But basically, nirvana is, is Buddhism. It's the no suffering. It's the, the lack of desire, the lack of sense of self. It's kind of, it sounds the same, except that in Christianity, Jesus is calling us to do that for his sake, for his name, for the gospel. It's not a self-help thing. It's not a better your life thing to deny yourself, to simply abstain from something for some reason that benefits you. And maybe you can even cloak it as a good thing. I was a part of a church that we would do uh, 21 days of, of fasting for several years, and, and it got to the point by, I had to be honest with myself by year two or three that like, man, am I just doing, am I just abstaining from food? Because I'm like, yeah, this is good. Like, God loves me more today. And he, he doesn't. I was simply abstaining from food. So a year like, oh, I'm going to abstain from pornography, or I'm going to abstain from this or that. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to, to just abstain from these things. But there's a difference when we're filled with the power of God and we're denying ourselves of those things. Again and again and again. It's the difference than just a self-help thing. 
Jesus was saying, lose yourself. Forget it. Remember yourself no more. And when you come to Christ, he, he kind of, he doesn't kind of, he creates in you a new heart, a new mind. He renews you. That old self is dead. And that's kind of this constant battle, this war raging inside of us of, of denying ourselves. But then he even says to take up your cross. And as we know, the cross was a cruel punishment for guilty criminals. And I, I think, I imagine, that this was a difficult and a hard thing to understand. As we often like to view ourselves as decent people, not as bad as so-and-so or some dictator throughout history, it is extremely unreasonable for any logical, thoughtful, decent-minded person to see the need to embrace their death and especially the death of the crucifixion. I mean, I'm not so bad. I can deny, it's almost like I could get to step one, I could deny myself some things and really seek after God and try to do acts of justice and acts of mercy. And, but then he says this other thing on top of it to take up your cross, to die to yourself. John 12, 24 says this, if you want to jot it down, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. For whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There's a promise there. And I think it's kind of helpful too. So the cross represents opposition to the Roman authorities. So it's opposition to the worldly authorities. The cross meant shame. It meant painful suffering and it ultimately meant death. So I think one way for us to kind of just maybe get a perspective on that this morning is to ask ourselves, what would the opposite be? What would it be like to, to not embrace the cross? And it would be us embracing the acceptance of the world. Just whatever the world wants, we kind of just fall into the flow of that. We would begin to seek out our own glory instead of accepting and embracing this shame that Jesus took for us. But we'd start seeking our own glory. And I think what is most dangerous, to be honest, to me and to the West is the painfulness of suffering that we often would rather seek Comfort, and instead of death, we would rather seek safety. It's natural. It's not really natural for us to be like, yeah, I wake up this morning, I really want to suffer. And I want to be clear that Christ isn't, he's not saying to like rush out to Afghanistan or Iran and just not even thinking or praying that you're just reckless, seeking out suffering, hoping to embrace cancer, hoping to embrace these things. That's not what it's saying. But our lives, we often want to begin to put up walls around dying to ourselves. We want to seek comfort. We want to make money. We want to have nice things. We want to feel comfortable. We want to, to not be in awkward situations. We want to be safe. And to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus means you're not necessarily going to be safe in what we think. The scripture does say, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And when you begin to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, he will be your refuge. But it is a difficult road. 
it's a difficult perspective to shift our Western thinking of like, I just want to make money. I want to be comfortable. I want to pursue the things of this world. I want to do whatever I please, whatever gratifies my flesh. And we see here that Jesus does not sugarcoat this at all. He never has in the scriptures. Romans 8.36 says it this way. It says, for as it is written, for you and your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep set out for the slaughter. Doesn't sound safe. Doesn't sound comfortable. But God. He allows us to give us, he gives us these great promises. Romans 8.18 says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 1.15, for we are to share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we dare, we share, we dare to share, we share abundantly in comfort too. Denying ourselves is a heart issue. When we are able to shift the two things that we are thinking, the kingdom perspective, we often discover renewed passion. You move from a spectator of the story to somebody in the story. We deceive ourselves into thinking that our focus Inwardly on ourselves, downwardly focusing for our, this temporary earth is forward. Like, I do. I think, man, when I look out for Jeremy and what's best and, and maybe aim for the things on this earth, that I think I'm moving forward. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This is paradox of like losing your life to save it, and you're going to save your life by losing it. But I'm actually called to be gospel-focused and to look outward to other people, to look upwards to the kingdom of God, outwards and upwards and outwards and upwards, instead of inwards, to seek the good of others. As we talked about last week in the, the Sermon of the Plain, to love your enemies, to turn your cheek. Those are, those are ridiculous statements in our world. They are in opposition, as we would say, to take up your cross to the Roman Empire. They are in opposition to the world standards, to die to yourself. So what does it look like in our lives to give it away? What does that look like? And this is where it's a little difficult, it's a little personal, because it's going to be different for all of us. But yes, I, I, I want us to be keenly aware that there is suffering, there is pain, there is on your knees crying out to Jesus for him to provide, to protect, and you're trying to understand what in the world is going on. But there is a great joy that he is right there. And in my weakness, he is made strong. And in my weakness, his glory is known and renowned and his name becomes famous because they're like, what in the world? How are you making it through this situation? How are you doing that? What happened? People begin to ask questions and that's where it comes back to this, don't be ashamed, but be bold and proclaim the goodness of God. Why did you start a food cart? I didn't start a food cart because I wanted to move here and start a food cart. I like prayed about it. I sought God and I'm on my knees stinking every day because I don't know how to run a business. crying out to Jesus. And it's a great place to be. 
It's that perspective. I want it figured out. I want to be safe. I want to have all the money. I want to be comfortable. I want to do all these things. And, and, but I don't grow. And it's the same when we go to work out in a gym. I, I'm terrible at this. I had my first soccer game last week, and I hadn't played in like two months. And I'm like in there for like three minutes, and I'm like done. I'm like, guys, I need a sub. Like, I'm not working out. I'm not doing these things. And, and if you are a person that works out and you're, you're dedicated and you're, you're dis- disciplining yourselves, like, it's painful to do those things. It's painful to do these things, but you're going to grow. Your body becomes healthier. And it's the same way in our spiritualness. But we want it comfortable. We want it plain. We want it easy. We want the easy road. But Jesus is like, no, I can't use you then. I can't get famous when it's all you and your plan, Jeremy. I'm actually probably going to break you. And we have to be okay with that. And we should have that perspective in our lives. In a room this size, God is going to call many of you to do many different things. And it's not that one is greater than the other. And it's not that we read stories of these missionaries and like, whoa, they're awesome. They're like, you're awesome. God loves you. He thinks you're really, really awesome. And he's got this great plan for you when you begin to deny yourself and when you begin to take up the cross and you begin to follow him. It's not what you thought it was going to be. It's definitely not that. But it's beautiful. There was a missionary by the name of Editor, I am Judson, I always have a hard time saying that, who set sail to Burma to share the gospel in the 1800s. And some of you may know this story. I don't know if you do, but when I read this, I was like, what? So he wrote the father-in-law a proposal letter. So young men, if you've proposed recently or you're planning on it, uh, this is a challenge for you. This is the letter he wrote. It's going to be on the screen behind me. This was to his wife, Anne, his first wife. It says, now, sir... I have now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and the suffering of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, the fatal influences of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps even a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left the heavenly home and died for her, for you, for the sake of the perishing, the immortal souls, for the sake of Zion, for the glory of God, can you consent to all of this in hope to soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall Redound her Savior from maidens and saved ones and through her means from the eternal woe of despair. I can't read it. I've read it several times. I'm just like, Dag. Man, Judson had it going on. Like he had the kingdom perspective. He's like, hey, will you follow me as I follow Christ? And we're going to set sail and we're probably going to get really sick and we're probably going to die. And she did die. Judson remarried another widow who had lost on the mission field, and she died. They lost kids. He remarried again. He eventually gets sick and dies in sea. He had a vision and a perspective upwardly and outwardly for the kingdom of God. He was laying down his life. He was giving it away time and time again. He could have gone back to the States at any time. A dear friend of mine named Jeff passed away two years ago. I first met Jeff, I was on a radio show called Testify, and it was basically a 15-minute show. Everybody gave their testimony, and they just, the guy asked you questions, and he was on before me, and I was, he was talking about him, 
giving away his life. He made six figures, had a really amazing job, did well, had a special needs son, but he was broken at the fact that there was no place for the special needs community to worship for the, the moms and the dads and the kids. And so he had this idea that he wanted to create this thing called Rising Above and, and that they would come together and they would worship together. They could be themselves. And he just started renting out spaces. Little did I know we'd become friends and we'd actually serve together in the church and become elders together. But Jeff lost his life in the spiritual sense to gain it eternally. And rising above still is an amazing, amazing thing that goes on. And it's more than just Cookville, where I came from. It's, it's spreading. And Jeff lost his life, his plan, and he lost his life. But he gave it up for something more glorious. I've seen college students set out for degrees, but as they denied themselves and they picked up their cross, they saw sufferings of those being trafficked. Trafficked around the world are people groups that weren't hearing the gospel. Some of them left school in mid-stride and they're finding joy. Others have used their degrees and they've finished schools and, they, and in their own words said they wasted their degrees by getting their medical degrees and going overseas and starting a ministry from scratch to serve boys in Uganda and give them medical attention Wasting their lives with their own words. In little college gatherings smaller than this, preaching missions, we, we have seen great things happen. Others, as I said, have taken their degrees and done great things and putting others first, not because they're simply nice. You don't do it because you're a nice person. You do it because of the gospel, because of Jesus, because of the cross the powers of the principalities of this earth have been disarmed. Death has been destroyed. The grave has been killed. And you and I have the opportunity to embrace and embody the gospel and give our lives away of it. My friend Candace, who worked at an architecture place, got a degree, was just discontent, went to Central Asia, decided that's where she needed to quit her job and move her life to. Just this last week, she was sharing the gospel on an island and passing out New Testaments in their heart language and sitting on the benches with these people group. Because she lost her life. She gave up her plans and sought after God. And if she was here, she would tell you it's not easy. I know she has sleepless nights and spiritual warfares, and, but when you get those moments... It's refreshing, it's, it's like the breath of God reminding you that you're not alone. And God is directing us in this room today to, to all different kinds of path, but in order to get to that path, we must deny ourselves. We must lose our lives. This meaning of losing our lives simply means to put away entirely, to abolish, to put an end to, to ruin, to render useless, to kill, to declare one must be put to death. These are the Greek definitions. So it's not like you and I lost my wallet or my keys or you lost your car. It's saying that you're, a, like, like if you lost your car, you don't go find it. It's, it's saying that you're going to completely destroy it. You're going to blow up your wallet. Blow up your keys. Whatever you lost, like, this is what it means. So it's not like, oh, I lost my life. I lost something. I misplaced something. Let's go find my coins. No, it means, like, you've utterly destroyed it. 
You've set it ablaze. So you're setting your life on fire because Jesus is a consuming fire. And the more you dive and dig into this and the more you really want this and the strange thing becomes happening because you're like, I don't want this, I want this, I want this, I don't want this. It's, it's this war raging inside of you. But deep down, you know it's good. You know the suffering's good. You don't understand it. Earthquakes and tsunamis. Babies with cancer. It doesn't make sense. But we must lose our lives for the gospel. We must take up the cross. Like, Jesus didn't ask us to, it, the, the verse didn't end there. Jesus didn't say, all right, bro, broette, just deny yourself, take up your cross, I'm out. Like, Jesus, he just told Peter, he's like, I'm about to go do this. And they're like, what? You can't do that. But Jesus bore that cross for you and I. He suffered so that we could be comforted. We suffer so that we can comfort others who are suffering. I gotta move on. Last part of the scripture is, ain't ashamed. I just like saying it like that. We're running out of time. So how does that look in our lives? So we lose our lives, and how do we not be ashamed of the gospel? That is our power. I think a lot of times that um, I know there's different personalities in this room. I'm, I'm non-confrontational. I don't like confrontation. So my life, I can err on the side of like, oh, yeah, man, that's good. Like somebody will say something, and they're like, yeah, all churches are the same. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to talk about that right now. So, yeah. They're not. But if I'm not careful, I mean, something was said to me in this food cart the other day, and I was like, I want to enter this conversation. And I missed, I won't say I missed my opportunity. We talked about several other things, but I just like, I let that part roll off, and I was just like, but I need to be more bold. And some of you in this room are like lions, and, and you need to have your life seasoned with a little love and grace. But praise God for your boldness. Like, you need to love your friend, man have a desire for them to come back. Don't run them off. But we don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. And I think sometimes, uh, like I said, for my friends that are in some countries, simply stating that they're a Christian, I read in this weekend, my, The Voice of the Martyrs magazine came. And I highly recommend that you order it. It's free. I sometimes struggle to even read it. It comes in the mail and I'm like, do I want to read this? Like, I'm being honest. But I read it this week, and it was about Iran. And um, I mean, these guys are like sharing their faith, and they get thrown in jail and beaten. They lose their families. They lose their jobs. Like, there is a real deal of being ashamed. And in here in West, here in Corvallis, you have the freedom to share the gospel. Some of your friends might think you're a little kooky or weird. But I pray that we would become even more bold, a little more peculiar, a little more kingdom-focused, that they're like, What? Because if the Spirit of God is working inside of them, when you're a little peculiar and you're a little different and you're not conforming to this world and you're being transformed, like they're going to come back to you and ask you questions. They're going to notice that you're different. So sometimes it's about your verbalness of don't be ashamed of Jesus. 
I mean, that scripture says, if you are ashamed of me in this sinful and adulterous, so it's like twofold. It's like, not only are you ashamed of me, that stinks, but you're ashamed of me in this fallen out, terrible world that is adulterous and sinful. And I'm gonna be ashamed of you when I return. There's a section in Matthew chapter seven where they're like, yeah, Lord, we knew you. And he's like, I don't know you, depart from me. There's a real tension there that I, I think maybe in this room, maybe you're a new believer, maybe you're one way today, this hour, and you're something else this week. That is being ashamed of the gospel. And you need to pray through what that looks like and have Christian community come around you. It doesn't mean that you necessarily need to forsake that. When I came to Christ, Brooke and I like really didn't know any Christians. Like, luckily we were together. But we didn't we didn't know any believe. We didn't have this. And there was moments where like that was I think why that scripture was so challenging to me. I'm like, man, am I being ashamed of Jesus, the one who rescued me and redeemed me? So what does it say, Jesus, about us giving up our lives, that we must follow him, must deny ourselves? But Christ gives us a new heart. If you get nothing else today, that that he is 100% worth it. If I had like, I wish you guys ever play those big checkers. I have kids, so like the big ones, you don't lose them as easy. They're like huge. But if I I literally could and ordered a bunch on Amazon, I would have got like hundreds of them. You know, and sometimes in our lives, we're like, here's a little bit Jesus, or like, oh, I'm a good Christian. Here's 10% of, here's 100 of my checkers out of 1,000. I'm being a good Christian. I'm going to give you 10%, Lord. The reality is I, I pray that we come to a place that we're just like gathering all those checkers, and we're like, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm 100% in. Here's, here's all my chips. Here's, here's all my life. John chapter six, you can read it later, but this starts off almost similar. Like he's feeding 5,000 people. He talks about he's the bread of life. And then he gets to this really hard saying. He says to, to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And again, everybody's like, say what? And the, it says the disciples leave. Like not the 12, but he says that some of those disciples, they just split. They left town. They gave up right there. And Jesus stops and he takes that moment and he looks at the other guys and he's like, hey, do you guys want to leave too? There was the option. Like, hey, do you guys want out? Now's a good time to get out. And Peter's simple response, he says, Lord, you have the everlasting words of life and where else would we go? And as believers of Jesus Christ today, we need to get to a place by the spirit of God empowering us by our dead selves, our old selves, that, that we get to a place that's like, I'm all in Jesus. Where else would I go? And when I struggle tomorrow in that same thought process, Jesus, where else would I go? I need you to empower me right now. I need friends around my life to, to I've told them, the staff, to like slap me when I forget about the great things that God's doing. And I'm like, what is going on? I don't know what, I'm freaking out. Like you need to embody a Christian community. That's why this faith statement is so amazing. And I believe it is worth your every moment of time to sacrifice yourself and be a part of a local church. And maybe it's this local church as we embody it to give our lives away because of the gospel. Man, I'd love it like five years from now. And I may not even know all of you, but you end up somewhere, someplace. And it isn't that overseas is greater. The Lord called us to Oregon. My wife's like, What? Like, we don't have to go learn a language. Like, we're getting called to Oregon. It's beautiful. It's glorious. But it's cost us a lot. And following Jesus is going to cost you a lot. But you'll find out those things that you thought were costing you were totally temporary. 
not worth it. Because it's not worth it for the exchange of his glory. Was it profit a man to, to lose his soul? Was it profit him to gain the whole world? That's what it says in there. It's basically just asking questions why. That doesn't make sense. You could have everything in this world and lose your soul. Or we could fight in ourselves and fight for the kingdom of God every day, persevering, enduring hardships, enduring suffering for the greatest glory of God, for the cross that he suffered for us. It's all temporary down here. It's all fleeting. It's all passing. And we get to spend eternity with Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we get to celebrate where there's no more darkness and there is no more suffering and there is no more cancer and there is no more pain. This is this amazing thing. But we have this perspective inward to ourselves and on this earth. And it's all temporary and it's all just going to go away because he's creating a new kingdom and a new earth. And he's inviting you to be a character inside that story today and not a spectator. So I pray that we would just move from spectating to lifting up the name of Jesus, because the cross is empty and the grave is now empty too, because he is powerful. He wants to move inside of you and me. We just have to have a willing spirit. I wanna end with something we've been praying every week and then I'll pray. That's the gospel prayer, maybe up there. It says, I thank you in Christ that there is nothing I can do to make you love me more, amen. And there's nothing I have done or ever will do to cause you to love me less. Amen. That's a good write-on right there. Your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. And as you have been to me, so I will be to others. And I will measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. I pray for us. Father, um, God, we need you to... to guard this deposit in our hearts, in my heart, Lord. God, even in the last few weeks, I've woken up in fear and trembling and, and desiring to run away, if I'm honest. But then I remember, as I look at people all around this city, that you love them. You made them. You created them. You want them to, to be with you. And so, Father, I pray that we would have your heart this week. God, I pray that we would die to ourselves, deny our flesh, our gratification, our, our selfish desires, Lord, and that, that we would take up the cross and we would suffer with others, but, Lord, that we would also celebrate with others. God, when the enemy wants to put the shame on us, that you've already bore our shame and set us free. But Lord, help us to die to ourselves. Help us to see the kingdom of God. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to love. Help us to be more like you today. And when we wake up tomorrow, let us pray that again, that we could be more like you today. God, we can't do this without you. God, and I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for your everlasting word. I thank you for the people that you invited here today, God, that, that you would transform them and renew their minds and set them ablaze dangerously into this world to share the gospel, whether it's Corvallis or Timbuktu, Lord, that they are willing to lay down their lives, but when they do it, they are gonna find the greatest joy even in the darkest of jungles. 
God, make us missional. In Jesus' name, amen.